it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation. Emma Filipoff was a sweet, free-spirited 26-year-old who disappeared in 2012. Since her disappearance, there have been reported sightings of Emma, but none have been confirmed. Is Emma still alive, but hiding from those who love and miss her? Or did something more tragic claim her life? This is True Crimecast. This is True Crimecast. As always, I'm Jamie, and I'm here with John, and it's really hard to try to come up with a new way to say that every week. Yeah, it is, and I always hate answering this question because things are still going good. They have been going good for the last couple of years. Uh, so how are you doing? I'm good. Uh, so last week, we recorded early, and this is really early. So I know we usually just banter about college football for a minute. Kentucky just lost to Florida in a heartbreaker. You know, I mean, it was a top 10 team. I'm not too heartbroken about it. But this weekend they go to Mississippi State. Could be a, a big one either way. Yeah, Mississippi State looks like a beatable team. Uh, Tennessee pulled off their first win of the season against Chattanooga. So That's uh, a high know, school was, team? It's a college team. Uh, they've been around a little bit longer than Georgia State, who whooped up on us a couple weeks ago. BYU beat Tennessee a couple weeks ago. They beat USC yesterday, which was a pretty big win for them. But unless I'm losing my mind, you guys are not here for college football updates. Although, heck, you know, if you want to start a third a third show, I'd be down with that. Yeah, let us know if you want us to do that. I feel like there are plenty of uh, – here on Stove League, we have a sports podcast already. Everybody has a sports podcast. You should check that out. I think I know more about sports than just about anything <laughs> else in this world. So I could always talk about some Tennessee football, talk about some Jarrett Garantano and how our offensive line needs your help. So, uh, yeah, anything else you want to talk about before we dive right in? Yeah, I just want to take a second to give a shout out to our new Patreon supporters. I want to thank Matt for coming in at $7 level. Matt is going to get an autographed photo of John and myself. I want to thank Alyssa E. for coming back on. Alyssa has been a supporter before. We appreciate you coming back. I want to give a special shout out to Alyssa A., who's coming at our $10 level. Uh, we greatly appreciate your contribution and your support of the show. She's also going to get a autographed photo sent to her. I also want to thank Ava and Nora for joining our Patreon family. Everybody I've mentioned gets access to our entire library of premium content on Patreon. Thank you so much. We uh, really, really appreciate your help. And we're going to be starting those calls here soon. So uh, 
be thinking of some stuff you want to talk to Jamie and I about. We're really stoked to do that. Lately, we have covered a lot of uh, a lot of murder. It feels like a lot of serial killers leading up to our hundredth episode, which will debut a week from the day this one comes out. But today, we're going to bring you guys a mystery, which I love. This is my favorite part of true crime: is either a who done it or what really happened, and no definite answers. And I love to speculate on those things. So. Uh, we're going to share the details of this case with you guys. John's did, done most of the research, and then we're going to, I guess, share some theories of what may have happened. So, buddy, why don't you go ahead and get us rolling? Yeah, as you saw in the, the description of this uh, episode, we have taken a lot of material from a website who uh, which was created by Emma Filipoff's friends and family, and it's called www.helpfindemmafilipoff.com. And uh, they graciously agreed to uh, let us use some of their content. And so we appreciate that. And uh, this is, like Jamie said, uh, just a crazy mystery. And I hope that for the sake of this family, we can, uh, you know, do our part in, in bringing some awareness to this case. And uh, but let's let's start with uh, Emma Filipoff. She was born January 6th, 1986. She's a Canadian woman and she has been missing since November 28th. 2012 she vanished from in front of a hotel in victoria british columbia jamie she was only 26 years old when she disappeared so she moved to victoria in the fall of 2011 she kind of always wanted to to go out west and kind of do her own thing Um, she was 25 at the time that she left and she really didn't have a plan for what she was going to do when she got out there she was going to just try to think of different things, figure things out once she got there. When she got there, she ended up living with a friend. And uh, and the friend had a partner that also lived with them. And she lived with them for a few months after she arrived. Now, in the winter of 2011, she found um, employment as a barista at a cafe. But this job only lasted a, a couple of months. And, and uh, after this time, she kind of started living what would be described as a transient lifestyle. So she would move in with one friend and then stay for a couple months and move somewhere else. In the time that she was there, she ended up living with friends. She lived in a motel. She would also um, uh, end up staying in a few boats, like just staying on different boats. She would actually sleep in woods on, on some occasions. And there's even a note that sometimes she slept inside of a tree and I know that sounds really odd. Jamie, in southern Kentucky, if you ever go visit Cumberland Falls down in Williamsburg, Kentucky, there's a hollow tree uh, that you could actually get seek shelter in. Now, you'd have to stand up in it, but um, I've definitely seen trees that are hollowed out and would be accessible for something like that if you wanted to. From February to November 2012, she ended up staying in the attic of a women's shelter on a rotating basis. So what would happen is she would get a job, but it was kind of a seasonal job. She would work at this place called Redfish Bluefish. And during the busy months, uh, she would she would have an employment. But during the off-season or the non-busy months, she would end up staying at the shelter. She was expected to uh, go back to work at the Redfish Bluefish in February 2013, but unfortunately, like I said before, on November 28, 2012, she ends up going missing. While she was staying in Victoria, John, uh, she communicated with her family and her friends back home, mostly by email. A lot of those emails were kind of poetic or cryptic and 
just kind of sending messages. She seemed to re- be really happy most of the time, and there was an occasional phone call, but most of it was electronic. They didn't know, uh, because she never shared it with them, that she had been living in a shelter. Uh, so you, you would think that would have caused some concern from family back home, but they were unaware, I guess, of her actual living circumstances because she had moved in with a friend when she had eventually gotten there. She really enjoyed the city life. She uh, could be found down at the library reading books. She spent time down at the harbor with local artists. She, I mean, she lived in a shelter. She spent a lot of time with other people in the homeless community. So she really enjoyed, I guess, being a part of a city atmosphere and engaging in the community as much as she could. People would describe her as being kind of a free spirit. She was soft-spoken and private, uh, but she was also kind of trusting to people that she met. She was very creative. She really liked going on adventures, and I don't know, you mentioned her sleeping in the woods and inside of trees, so, uh, I mean, obviously adventurous, but also, I guess, kind of uh, fearless in some ways. She was a very kind person, according to her friends. It said that she loved caring for people, especially the elderly. She also loved watching after children and pets. Um, She was into a lot of different things, and she was good at a lot of different things. It said that she was a skilled photographer. She was a skilled chef. She loved to write. Uh, Like you said, she mentioned you mentioned those poetic emails and stuff that she would write. She would write and maintain several journals, and she even maintained a blog for a while. She was said to have really enjoyed nature and just uh, preferred it more than city life. She would often, she loved to travel. She loved adventure. Um, it said that she was, she loved her family and friends and, and was known to just, you know, just be just a good person. She, she didn't really care for like modern things like social media, cell phones. She didn't enjoy spending money or playing any role in the establishment. Um, so I kind of get this description of her and I think of her as a free spirit. I don't know if that's fair to say or not, but that's kind of what I envision when I think of Emma. Um, she would end up dating one guy when she was in Victoria, but that only lasted a few months before they would end up splitting up. And, and it was said not to have been a bad breakup. It was a mutual thing and, and seemed to end on the best note that it could. She was reported to enjoy drinking and socializing with her friends um, she always was there for her friends. She would listen to them if they had problems. Uh, she was always one to joke and cut up and laugh. And she just seemed to have like a peace or a joy about her. She was, you know, I would imagine this kind of person to just be a fun, like a good, loyal friend to be around. Um, but she did have some struggles with her her thoughts and her, her mental health, so to speak. And we're going to get into a lot of that here soon. Um, but people just really loved this girl. Friends said that by the summer of 2012, Emma was in search for a more pure lifestyle. So that means that she quit drinking profuse. Like she would, she would sometimes binge drink, but she stopped doing that. And she also cut out cigarettes, coffee and sugar from her diet, but she did some other things. Jamie, what'd she end up doing? Well, some people said she smoked pot, but there's really no complete confirmation of that. She also cleaned up her eating habits. Um, she was vegan. Uh, by the time that she had disappeared, she had kind of experimented with food until that's where she landed. 
Uh, <clears throat> she started drinking a lot of water and eating less food, and people saw a big transformation in her physically. She ended up being very thin. Uh, there was also a big transformation in her socially kind of shortly before her disappearance. They described her as monk-like in her eating habits and her social habits. She was distancing herself from people, and um, she was just kind of acting afraid. Some people said that this happened kind of at the end of summer. Fall was coming, and it's like she didn't know what to do since it was getting cold, and she could spend less time outside uh, out exploring the city and interacting with people. And eventually she started acting like really paranoid and fearful, like something was out to get her. In June or July of 2012, we see a pretty interesting piece come up. She ended up purchasing a van and with the intentions of living in it and traveling around the island. Um, I got to tell you, Jamie, just the random side note, like this sounds like a dream of mine. Like before I got married and have kids, this would have been something that I would have really loved to do. Like purchase a, like a Volkswagen camper van and just travel all over the place and not really have a home, just kind of wander wherever my heart would lead me. Right. Um, she was really excited to do this. Her family remember, or her friends rather remember her just being really excited. She just had a, a joy about her when she was picking up her personal stuff from a storage unit and putting it in the van. Um, she, she loved this van, but it ended up being kind of a burden to her financially. There's about three different times where she would have it towed and she would have to pay to, to get it back. So it became kind of a, a nuisance, so to speak, like, um, she would, she would have to make preparations to keep this van out of, out of storage or out of, you know, impound lots or whatever. But something I found interesting about the van, Jamie, was that b before she disappeared, it almost appeared as if she was planning for some kind of move. She would tell some friends, uh, one story and tell other friends a different story of all the different places that she wanted to travel. Uh, one potential location was Salt Springs Island. Uh, which is uh, around British Columbia. Uh, some other friends said that she had some other plans that involved sailing on a boat to Mexico, heading to San Juan uh, to meet with a man that she barely knew. She also mentioned the idea of moving to California or moving to Costa Rica, traveling to Japan to be with her dad. She also mentioned the idea of living off the grid somewhere in the woods. So, you know, all these different things, uh, I think just kind of culminate into the idea that she was planning on not sticking around Victoria very long. She wanted to, it's obvious, I guess, in what she was telling her friends that she wanted to be somewhere else. And, uh, I think that's part of this mystery for sure. And we'll come back to that in a minute. Well, we have evidence that she had mental health issues dating back to when she was a kid. Uh, some journal entries that she left behind indicate that, but she never really let her family in to know that she was really kind of private about her mental health issues and about the negative thoughts that she was having. And nobody was really aware of it. Um, but one of her friends did start to notice in, in 2011 that the things were changing for her. She was doing some really odd behaviors, John. One night she found her in the middle of the night out walking around kind of in like a dazed, distant state. She said that she could find her just sitting kind of like meticulously arranging and rearranging her food or rocks or seashells or something. She was just, it was almost like a tick for her. She was obsessively focused on random objects and 
it was really odd and just didn't seem healthy. So her friend reached out to Emma's father and kind of told him what the concern was. Emma would tell her dad that she was fine and she didn't need his help. And the big issue there, John, is that her dad, whose name was James, never told uh, Emma's mom that he had received this call about her friend being worried about her mental health. And her mom, whose name is Shelly, said if she had known that, she would have come immediately because just having known Emma the way that she did, this would have been a red flag for the mom. But the dad kind of, I don't want to say shrugged it off, but he didn't think it was as big of a deal once Emma told him she was okay. I mentioned just the way that her friends would describe her. You know, she was a joy to be around. She was extremely friendly and just a good time. But things started to change in early November of 2012. About two weeks before she vanished, one friend would actually recall that they drove by this shelter where she was staying at and actually saw Emma outside standing in the cold and being wet. And she was just standing there rather emotionless and seemed to just kind of be staring out like at nothing. And so that's a rather odd and concerning kind of behavior. But something else that I found really odd and and extremely concerning was what the residents and staff at the shelter said was going on with Emma. There was in early November, 2012, she was be in her room, her, her blinds and curtains would always be completely shut, but she would also on at least one occasion, take furniture out of her room, take it all the way out of the shelter, move it across the street and left it on the curb. And when she was asked why she was doing this, she told people that the furniture was, was talking to her and saying things to her. So that's always a major concern when, uh, when someone thinks that these objects are talking to her. So bless her heart. She had some, some things going on that, that was pitiful. And, um, Jamie, this is something that I found really concerning, uh, before, you know, I mentioned that she was kind of planning a move from Victoria. Apparently before she moved to Victoria, she started selling different things and, and she was doing this kind of behavior again, where she was selling her possessions and throwing away some personal things to her. And, and that's always concerning. Jamie, what, what could be going on there? What's, what's that a potential sign for? Yeah. The, the staff at the shelter felt like she might be suicidal and kind of on the verge of a mental break. So they tried to get the police to come in and, and take her and kind of force her to do a psychiatric evaluation. Uh, the police did come and they talked to the staff and they talked to Emma, but they basically just left and said, Hey, continue to monitor her behavior. If it gets worse or she becomes a danger to herself or others, then let us know and we'll come back out. So they weren't as big of a help as the shelter workers had hoped they had been. It was on November 23rd that Emma started calling her mom daily in tears, uh, just telling her how bad things were. And her mom, Shelly, would always offer to come get her. And, and they would start talking about arrangements for Emma to come home. But then she would always call back the next morning and say, you know what? I'm okay. I'm going to stay. But by that evening, she would call Shelly back and say, you know what? No, I need to come home. Things are awful. So it was kind of a cycle for about five days that they did this. And then the last call she placed to her mom was on November 28th. And uh, again, she told her mom not to come. But Shelly noticed that there was something different that day. Something different in Emma's voice that she was really worried about. Um, The family members around Shelly would tell her that she needed to respect Emma's privacy or Emma's autonomy, I guess. And 
to kind of leave her alone, but uh, Shelly decided that she was so concerned about her daughter that she needed to fly out to Victoria to check on her, so she did that that afternoon. Again, that was on the 28th. And her mother, I mean, a big part of her concern was she also had a history of mental illness uh, in her family, and she felt like Emma really needed her at this point. I mean, let's just kind of process this for a little bit. I just kind of want to hear from you. Our children are younger, so we don't have to worry about this kind of thing now. But, I mean, if they did get older and move away, you know, there is, a, a I guess, a boundary, the right, that you don't want to cross. You want to respect your children. And and at this age, they're, they're adults, you know. But, you know, I don't blame this woman at all for going out and seeing what's going on with her daughter. I mean, if you have that kind of pit in your stomach feeling that there's something going on, I think you go. And I think she did the right thing. I mean, are you on the same page with me there? Yeah. I mean, in in that situation, like what's the worst thing that's going to happen? The worst scenario is that she goes and checks on her and she's fine. Things might be a little awkward. I think that's a risk that you take in order to make sure somebody's safe, right? Like um, awkwardness or social, uh, I don't know, like people judging you for being overly protective. Like that's minuscule compared to the peace of knowing that your kids are right. Yeah. And I, I would imagine that no matter how old our children get, you know, we're always going to be, I guess, worried about them, making sure they're okay. And so, I mean, I would do the same thing Shelly did here. So Jamie, you mentioned, uh, Shelly's on her way up. So Emma returned to the shelter around 6 PM that evening that she was coming up and, uh, she was actually informed by the staff there at the shelter that her mother was on the way. Now, when she heard this, she became really upset. Um, she kind of stormed out of the shelter at that point. Somebody in the, in the residence tried to storm out with her and try to, try to see where she was going, but they just couldn't catch up with her. And it's really not certain, like we're not really certain how people at the, the shelter found out that her mom was coming up, but regardless, that's what happened. So Shelly ended up going to the shelter around 11 PM that night. And she learned that Emma didn't come come and claim her bed. So, of course, you can imagine she's worried, right? I mean, this is the place where her daughter's staying. And so now you really don't know where she's at. So they ended up uh, calling 911 or calling, uh, I don't know, it's 911 in Canada, Jamie, but they called emergency services to report Emma missing. Now, this is kind of, there's a lot of other odd stuff that was going on shortly before her disappearance. So, Jamie, why don't you tell us about some of those things that were going on? Yeah, on the morning of her disappearance, uh, just after 8 a.m. that day, she's seen on video at a 7-Eleven buying a $200 prepaid credit card. Now, she used her debit card to pay for a credit card. John, what's the, like, what would cause somebody to do that? Why, why would you go and purchase a Visa credit card? The only way I would do that is if I plan to give somebody else money Then I don't have like cash on hand to give it. I can use my debit card or credit card or whatever and buy like a Visa prepaid card and put whatever amount on there. Um, I can't really think of a reason why I would need to buy one for myself. You know what I mean? Like I have if I have a debit card to buy it, then I have I have money that I can use the debit card for. So I'm not really sure if she planned to give money to someone else or what she was really thinking there. Right. I could see a scenario where somebody thinks that would make it harder to trace them. Like, I'm not using my debit card. I'm using this credit card. 
which ultimately is tied to your debit card, right? But I could see where somebody might think that that's like a a burner phone, right? Like nobody's going to be able to trace it. So maybe she was looking to hide or like you said, maybe she was looking to give it to somebody. I think that's the most common reason people buy those. That afternoon, a lot of people that saw her said she was kind of acting odd. And even for her, as we mentioned, that she kind of acted odd anyway. But they said she was walking around looking confused and carrying a lot of bags around. And they would say that she wasn't wearing shoes, which, again, we're talking about it being winter here. At 5.54 p.m., uh, she also bought a prepaid cell phone at the same 7-Eleven where she had gotten the credit card that morning. So, again... Maybe she's looking to disappear, and she thinks this is going to make her untraceable. A uh, video showed her paying for the phone. She stuck around the store for a while, uh, kind of looking outside as if like she was afraid somebody was following her or something. I, the phone she bought, John, was never activated. We'll get to the card a little bit more in a minute, but she bought this phone, and ultimately it was never used for anything. Just a few minutes after that, uh, she had been back in the shelter, but she leaves and she goes and gets in a taxi and asks to be taken to the airport. Now, when she gets in the taxi, she says, I need to go to the airport. And he says, well, the fare for that is going to be around $60. She says she can't afford it. Now, we know that she has, or at least has purchased, a $200 credit card. So it makes you wonder, like, does... Is she plan? Does she have plans for those two hundred dollars and doesn't have an extra sixty? Did she not think that a taxi would cost that to get to the airport? So again, she seemed confused all day, and that seemed to be the case in the cab as well. So she has to be dropped off where she started. Uh, so there was some fee that she had to pay the cab. There was some fare that she had to pay. She put that on her debit card, um, and she actually, again, with the odd behavior. She asks to be dropped off back at the shelter, but she doesn't get out. She asks them if she can just sit in the cab, and the cab driver would say, well, I mean, I'm just going to kind of sit here till I get a call, so you can stay here until I get another call, and then I have to leave, and and that's what she did. So she was sitting there. Somebody did, in fact, start talking kind of through the communicating radio inside the taxi cab, and that really freaked her out again. She uh, didn't understand why a voice was coming out of the car, and at that point, she got out of the cab in a panic. So here's when things uh, get really interesting. At 6.15, she has a friend named Dennis Quay who sees her uh, standing on a street barefoot, and he walks up to her, and they start talking for a little while. And as they walk along, he kind of starts asking questions to learn about what's going on with her. I mean, you know, it's not normal to see somebody standing on on the street barefoot, and kind of looking rather bewildered, right? So the two of them are going to walk around for a little while. And, you know, it's not normal for you to see your friend kind of looking rather disheveled and walking barefoot on the street. So he starts walking with her and starts asking her how she's doing. And I guess she finds the questions a little too intrusive. So she ends up kind of walking away from this guy. So he knows something's not exactly right. So he actually goes to a nearby business and calls the police from that location and he kind of sits there and waits for police to show up before he would leave. So the police get there, they arrive at seven seventeen PM and officers will end up talking to Emma for 30 minutes. Now she, you know, I can't imagine what kind of conversation they're having that would take this long. If you think about it, 30 minutes is a long time to be sitting there talking to somebody. 
Um, like I said, she's standing there, she's holding her shoes. Um, you know, I, like I said, I can't imagine what would be going on, but I guess after a half an hour, she convinces police officers that she has plans to go meet a friend at 8 PM. And so police let her go. They, they said they, that you can't really determine that she's a threat to herself or to anybody else. So she's, she's free to go. Police, uh, would be the last ones to really see her, um, like a confirmed sighting kind of thing. So she would never be seen again by anybody that she knows and loves. Now, a week later, there was a hit on that $200 prepaid credit card that she had bought the morning of her disappearance. Again, this was on December 5th. It was at a, uh, a gas station on Suki Road in Petro, Canada. Uh, and, and somebody had used the card. And so they, they find this guy, they question him, they gave him a lie detector test, and ultimately they end up clearing him. So the guy would tell him that he found this card uh, on the side of a road near a recreation center in a place called Callwood. Later, however, John... He called Emma's mom on three separate occasions. Now, the first one was kind of to, I guess, feel her out and tell her that he didn't know exactly where he found it, but he was, uh, I guess, checking on Shelly because he knew her daughter was missing. But the conversations got more and more odd as they went on. He ultimately found, told her that he has no idea where the card came from, that he was really drunk that night and just ended up with the card. But he did say that he had found it a week earlier, so right at the time of her disappearance. But he waited seven full days before he tried to use it to go buy some cigarettes. And he kind of doubles down on that and says, you know, I, these are routes that I usually walk. Maybe I found it on this road. Maybe I found it on this trail. Maybe I found it in this park. But he can't tell her uh, any exact place where the whereabouts of the card was. So, Jamie, over the years, there have been several unconfirmed sightings of Emma. You know, people, you know, like in any other missing persons case, there's like numbers you can call. There's email addresses you can you can type up an email to. And, you know, a lot of folks will call in and say they've seen her here or there over the years. But I found this one interesting. This would actually come out in another podcast in November of 2018. So a man would say that on November 29th, 2012 at about 5 a.m. in the morning he is on his way to work and he's just started a new job so he actually drives in and he sees a woman uh kind of darting back and forth on the side of the road around victoria and he pulled over and and asked what was going on and she said that she needed to go to colwood to visit one of her girlfriends but like i said he was on his way to a new job and he didn't have the kind of time that it would take to get her there and be on time for work. So he tells her that he can just drive her up the road a few minutes if that would help her out. So she gets in and it's kind of odd, Jamie. He says that when, when she's in the car, she acts rather normal. Like she's able to have a conversation. They have a, they have a talk. And when she is dropped off, she kind of begins this odd behavior again, like holding her shoes, kind of looking off into space, darting back and forth. Um, he said it was rather odd. So, uh, he kind of reported that, and that was kind of the last unconfirmed sighting. Uh, we don't know that it was Emma, but, you know, there's a lot of people who think it was. So, Jamie, that's kind of the end of the story, but I do want to spend some time talking about what we think happened and 
And I know you have a story about a potential boyfriend. So why don't you talk to us about that? Yeah, there was a guy that she had allegedly dated back when she lived in Perth before moving to Victoria. His name was Julian. Um, she moved to Victoria, which was really, really far away. This wasn't like uh, Jellicoe, Tennessee to Harlan, Kentucky, like you moving to where I live or whatever. But uh, they like across the country, right? A few months after Emma had moved, Julian followed her there. Now, I say followed. He said that he wanted to move to the West Coast. He wanted a city where he could ride his bike. Like, he gave all these reasons for why he moved, but he moved to the specific city where his ex-girlfriend lived, which I find kind of odd. He did say that he saw her the day of her disappearance and that she just kind of shrugged him off. So to him, he had tried to kind of reconnect with her since they got there. He said that she never really was interested in even her friendship with him. He was actually questioned and given a lie detector test by the uh, RCMP. And and he would eventually be cleared. But still, I think it's super odd. Just him moving there, to me, is a big red flag. But there's really not a lot else to the story of their interactions in Victoria, I don't think. There's another kind of odd incident that happened in 2014 when a man is seen uh, taking down posters and he actually has something in his hand and uh, he's asked about why do you have that in your hand and he says well uh, this is a missing person's poster and this woman's not missing she's my girlfriend and she moved out here and she wants to stay gone because she hates her parents um, I think that's kind of an odd thing that happened I don't know that I'm going to put much stock into it but it is kind of a an odd thing. I think it's worth kind of throwing out there. Um, I I, wanna, I just want to spend some time with you, Jamie, and talk about like what's the most likely thing that happened to Emma, in your opinion. It, I think it could be a combination of things, but if I were to put percentages on it, I would say the highest likelihood is that her mental health had diminished to a point where she could no longer care for herself that she ended up leaving victoria uh and and ultimately maybe she did go try to live in the woods like she had talked about and just met her demise and was unable to care for herself and to make safe decisions so i think her mental health is probably the the most likely um i don't know the the most likely problem that ended up in her going missing what do you think well I mean, yeah, I think you're right on there. I think her mental health was kind of collapsing around her and it just kind of breaks your heart to see her state of life, you know, in, especially in November of 2012. But something that, that I've thought about is, you know, how many times were the police called on Emma just in that short amount of time? Because people obviously knew there was something going on with her. So I feel like from 2012 to 2019, I mean, here we are so many years later, I feel like your mental health isn't going to get better unless you seek some kind of treatment. So I would assume that if she was still alive somewhere, um, even if she's living in the woods, she would have to come back into civilization sometimes. And so to have no police reports in that time makes me think that she's either not alive or not in Canada anymore. But even if you're a missing person, I would think that if you're stopped somewhere in America, that would be flagged, right? I mean, I would hope so at least. So, I'm a, I'm kind of fearful that the worst has happened to Emma, that maybe she did kind of vanish because of her mental health, but maybe something's happened to her, and we just don't really know 
if she's alive or not anymore. So, um, you know, I don't know. I, I think that this is a case that could certainly be solved. And I know that's, that's kind of what people want to hear. Right. But, you know, I think there's probably somebody out there who knows something about Emma, uh, that could provide some more information to her friends and family and hopefully call this case closed one day. Yeah. You mentioned it's unlikely that we would have not seen her since then. I also think it's somewhat unlikely that we wouldn't have found her body if she had died. Uh, I think it's, I don't know, I guess your story is more likely that if she had died, we just wouldn't see her. uh, Or if she was alive, we would have run into her by now. But I also think we would have found her body by now if she had just gone somewhere and committed suicide. But maybe there is that much wilderness and uh, we know there was water nearby, so it was it was near a harbor. So maybe maybe she I I mean you have here written on our deadline is she dead or missing? I think it's highly more likely that she's dead than just out there hiding, right? Yeah, I mean that's kind of where I land on this. But again, who knows, right? I mean she could very well be alive somewhere. I think that's one of the most disturbing things about this is we just really don't have any leads to make a good determination. So it's really just one of those things that's up in the air totally. So I hope that for her friends and family's sake, one day we know what happened to Emma, whether it's the worst of the worst or that she's somewhere uh, alive. You know, I just hope that there is some kind of closure for this family and, and for this case of the missing person of Emma Philippoff. Yeah, I do think that's possible, and and we got got to be hopeful, right? That that something will turn up. Uh, his, her mother and brother uh, got in trouble back in 2016, and uh, got into some legal trouble there. And you have to think that the fact that they were missing a loved one certainly didn't help their mental health and life projection. So people are still hurting, and you have to have hope that there will be some resolve at some point. Yep. Guys, that's going to do it for this case. We thank you so much for sticking around with us. If you don't mind, something that you could do to help the show is to leave a rating and a review. Those are highly uh, appreciated and go a long way in helping the show. Of course, you can also check us out on Patreon. We have uh, put mouse pads back on our Etsy site. Uh, We've gotten a new logo, which is much higher resolution than we used to have. So there are some good quality items over there, T-shirts, mugs, stickers, so... Uh, go get some uh, True Crime Cast merch over there. Yep. Guys, thank you so much. Until next crime, this has been True Crime Cast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You've listened to True Crime Cast, distributed by Stoveleg Media. Check out Stoveleg.com to find out more about your hosts and to find other podcasts to listen to. Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.